Welcome again to another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Today I'm very happy to be joined by Vineeth Ram, Chief Revenue Officer of OLI Systems. Welcome, Vineeth. Thank you. How are you today? Doing great. Enjoying this uh, wonderful conference, and thank you for the opportunity. Yes, we're, we're, we're live here at the 27th Annual AR, ARC Forum. Um, Vineeth, um, you're at OLI Systems. And for um, our audience that might not be terribly well-versed in either the technology you use or your company, can you give us just a broad background of who is OLI what do they do? Great. Uh, OLI really uh, is a trusted solutions provider uh, for the design and optimization of the most complex and valuable chemical processes that are used in a broad range of industrial uh, process industries. Essentially, what we do is we provide predictive model-based insights that help to improve operational efficiency, uh, mitigate operational risk, as well as enhance sustainability and engineering productivity. So, um, just walk us through uh, even a, a simple you know, application. You're actually testing the components that are within a system and determining the rate of degradation of a pipe or of a piece of equipment, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we do is we really understand the chemistry of the process. So uh, for these complex chemical processes, we develop a very sound understanding based on the principles of thermodynamics and kinetics. And once we understand them, we're able to model and simulate them very rigorously and very accurately. So once you do that, you can start asking a lot of what-if questions and scenarios and trying to adjust. You can adjust your inputs and understand you know, what kind of outputs you get so you can understand sort of uh, how to design these parameters and optimize them. And essentially, this is applicable both if you're designing equipment as well as if you're designing your process. And now we've also taken it to real-time operations where you actually can make sure that you're operating them more optimally as well with real-time monitoring and automation. For our audience, um, a few months ago, we did interview Lisa Williams, of OLI systems, and she gave a, a great, a very granular uh, discussion of of the actual uh, processes of how OLI systems uh, goes goes about what they do. Uh, Vanith here today is here to talk about something uh, relatively new, I believe, in the world of OLI, and that is some of your efforts in the area of sustainability. I know that there's a variety of applications that you cover under that sustainability umbrella. So I'd ask you to go, to go slow and go in detail across some of the, some of those. So sure, sure. Uh, actually, this is not uh, very new. We've been doing this for several decades in terms of sustainability. We just didn't necessarily coin it as sustainability and bring it to the forefront. But uh, historically, we've had uh, a lot of applications in the uh, handling of uh, treatment of hazardous nuclear waste materials mm -hmm. and how you store them and make sure that they are safe. And, and understand sort of the corrosion mechanisms inside them. So that's been one of our early applications where we've actually looked at making things more sustainable. But uh, simply put, from an OLI perspective, sustainability is about, you know, a number of different things. It's improving air quality, it's uh, water quality, it's just driving more reuse and, uh, you know, sort of better utilization of, of assets and, and capabilities. It's also, uh, in a big way, driving that decarbonization and energy transition, uh, you know, whether it be uh, through this carbon capture processes or through, more importantly, uh, clean energy sources. So 
really a wide range of areas and, and maybe now I can drill into each one of them a little bit to give some details for the audience. Uh, so really I'll start with, with things like, uh, you know, the, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, right? Certainly CO2 is a big part of it. Uh, one of the things we are able to do is accurately model CO2 capture processes because we can actually simulate the underlying absorption and regeneration processes that are chemical processes, understand them. So we can actually understand how to design these capture processes in an optimal way. Uh, next, if you come to, you know, once you capture the, uh, the CO2, you have to transport the CO2. So when you transport the CO2, one of the things we've found is the corrosion in the pipeline is a major problem. Because mm. when you emit CO2, a number of impurities come along with it, right? Like the nitrous oxides, sulfur dioxides, etc. And these impurities really cause corrosion. And they degrade the pipes and essentially you have loss of CO2 and, and, and things like that. So uh, essentially, we have the ability by understanding and building a corrosion model um, during student transportation to uh, sort of play with the uh, different parameters. So you, if you're actually an emitter of CO2, you can, you can understand mm -hmm. what are the acceptable levels of impurities you can actually, you know, have, you know, uh, in your, in your uh, CO2 discharge, which are not going to cause corrosion, right? So you basically get some design parameters to understand them. You can also go and do material selection. Uh, you know, clearly in the case of CO2, we want to use the lowest cost material. But in some other applications for corrosion, we can actually design, uh, you know, go and select the raw material that we want. So that's then, then moving along to storage. Uh, when you store CO2, the same kinds of things come in, uh, you know, in, in understanding interactions, if you put them into, into caves, for example, the chemistry of the behavior is still another factor there. So understanding and optimizing that is, an, is still an important factor. So the fundamental understanding of chemistry gives you uh, a strong way to play across the entire CO2 uh, capture, transportation, storage. Now, even with utilization, it becomes important when you're providing, when you're building novel materials with mm -hmm. CO, captured CO2, which is a big area right now, we find applicability. So this is a broad area that we can help with just the CO2 uh, processes that, that we talked about. That's, that's fascinating because it reminds me of the, the three pillars of sustainability actually are protecting or enhancing the environment, which the CO2 capture and transport takes care of. Yeah. Um, the second pillar is called social. So it's quality of life and safety issues, which arguably CO2 capture is, yeah. is, is there too. But the third one that's often forgotten is the is economics. It, is that if there isn't a reasonable financial model around this, none of that, those first two are going to happen. And if your, if your system corrodes and is inoperable or is extremely expensive to operate, you're not going to be in a position to capture your CO2. So it's important to do the right things up front so you have an economical, solid financial business model. And certainly testing for impurities is, is of great importance. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a uh, very good point. Uh, in, in that the economics plays a role too. And just a similar example here, if we think of clean energy like geothermal energy, for example, uh, even in geothermal energy production, there's a big challenge with acid integrity and corrosion plays a role because similarly you have impurities coming in when you are uh, extracting uh, you know, uh, geothermal energy and that again causes challenges 
inside the operation environment. You, now, you, let me interrupt. You, you, you mentioned some of the impurities in the CO2 capture system. What, what are the typical impurities in a geothermal system? So in geothermal energy, the uh, brine, the geothermal brine can be highly acidic. Uh, this is just because of volcanic gases that have like sulfur dioxide, sulfur trioxide. that can actually cause acid sulfate uh, uh, brines that can be highly corrosive. And you might also have other impurities like H2S and HCl and hydrogen fluoride as well, all of which contributes to making this highly corrosive. And in geothermal energy, you actually have the benefit of using materials like titanium in, in certain areas, and especially in the power generation side. Right. So there's a material selection options that you can do to actually, and these are coming in at pretty high temperatures as well. So you have the high temperature effect, you have the, the sort of the, the acid formation that's happening because of the impurities that are coming in, and that becomes a phenomenon as well. But the net effect of all this is what happens is you're actually increasing the cost, right? production of geothermal energy and now the levelized cost right of geothermal energy uh, sort of it, uh, or, or, or the cost of production of geothermal energy has to meet the levelized cost of energy production from other right. sources so now you you really are content by improving acid integrity you're really making geothermal energy much more cost competitive and that's again to your right. point it's about the economics of what's and happening stretching the and life cycle of that equipment exactly and, and so, the, so the understanding of the chemical behavior predicting of the corrosion really is an is a important tool in helping to bring that uh, capability as well uh, and, and drive the market adoption for geothermal energy. So, so we talked about the CO2 capture, transport, and storage process. We talked about geothermal energy. Are there other sustainability areas in which OLI works? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just in terms of air quality, think of the, the flue gases that are emitted from a number of harsh industrial environments. Uh, that's that's another mm-hmm. area. So we've been doing flue gas desulfurization in a lot of these power plants and other environments for quite some time. And that's a key application which is governed by the Clean Air Act uh, in terms of that. So that's that's one area. So generally, in general, you know, all of these greenhouse gas emissions and, you know, flue gases, uh, you know, that's a kind of big area uh, for helping to uh, essentially uh, manage, how, manage that whole process and, and mitigate those contaminants in the environment. Uh, which is which is which is big. Uh, next, I would go to the the water quality side, right? So again, uh, a lot of the uh, water chemistry and electrolyte behavior uh, sort of governs what happens when you do water wastewater treatment, mm-hmm. and this can be multiple sources, right? Whether it be an industrial wastewater, whether it be seawater desalination, all these things become extremely important, and 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 uh, through rigorous modeling, we can actually understand. Uh, what are the toxic contaminants? Typically, you have heavy heavy metals in there, like arsenic and so on, which are mm-hmm. you know have have very harmful effects to the environment. Those kinds of heavy metals, you can actually detect them and actually uh, make sure that uh, those are not being released into the environment through your modeling and simulation. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you know another big area in water treatment is just energy consumption, right? Optimizing energy because a lot of times what you find is just Optimizing energy consumption and, and minimizing the energy use lowers your costs, but it also makes you more sustainable because we know that most energy sources really are coming from, you know, natural, most, most power plants are powered by natural gas even today, right? The renewable right. sources are very small. So that gives you that effect. So with the modeling, understanding the steps in the process for water treatment, let's say you're doing filtration through a, a reverse osmosis right. or some other process, you can actually understand the dynamics and then optimize your design to minimize energy consumption, 
right, which is another area. So this whole area of water wastewater treatment is another area which pretty much is ubiquitous in many different industrial processes, right? You're either using them in the chemical process or you're discharging them afterward, right? Or, or you're just coming, extracting them along with your oil or with your metals, right? So that's kind of a, another, another big area. That, that, that's fascinating. I know you touched on a few other areas, um, like uh, electric vehicle batteries. Yeah. So that, another fascinating area, we're all seeing the huge uh, sort of growth and demand of electric vehicles. Uh, one of the key things to note there, as you probably know, is the supply of raw materials, right? The critical materials is heavily constrained. And uh, based on the estimates that you're looking at, you know, in, in, in the next 10 years, we won't be able to keep up with enough supply to meet the demand of these critical materials, right? Like lithium and nickel and cobalt and manganese, right? These are critical materials required for those for electric vehicle batteries, uh, uh, you know. And uh, one of the things that we are doing at OLI is we're working with many of the major operators around the world to essentially uh, do a better job of more effectively uh, extract, uh, purify and refine these critical materials, right? With the effect that you can increase yields and lower mm. cost through various processes, whether it be evaporation or separation. So, for example, for lithium, we can, you know, you can make an extract it from brines, the salar ponds that you have in South America, or you can, or from uh, ores, which is uh, typically the predominant deposits in Australia, or mm-hmm. we could also extract from geothermal brines, which is a, which is a very, very big emerging area where now the EU has declared that 30% of the lithium supply by 2030 should be coming from geothermal brines. So this is again an area we've had a lot of experience in, and we've worked. Uh, in fact, in the largest project in the U.S., uh, you know, uh, we've actually done uh, significant work on extracting lithium from uh, from uh, geothermal brines. That's that's a fascinating set of set of data points and all those all those different applications. Um, you know, what do you see for the future? So really, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we, we are seeing is a lot of these tools and technologies have been traditionally used by, you know, research and development groups, central engineering groups. And uh, what the, the opportunity with, with sustainability as well as in, in, in traditional operations to bring all these tools and technologies online with real-time monitoring and automation capabilities. So you can almost, what you can do real-time optimization. You just don't have to do a design and throw it over the fence, right? You can do real-time optimization. You can have very customized dashboards that give you predictive insights. But now you can also innovate in the process itself. You can drive process innovation. Because what's happening today, we are seeing in, in, in many industries, is things are not very static. Uh, the types of raw materials are changing. Vast difference in the quality of the raw materials input. Uh, and mm-hmm. for example, right now we are seeing major automotive manufacturers setting up refining facilities for lithium, right? Because they are seeing, you know, this become a critical resource. So now there's going to be a wide range of quality and variation in the purity levels of the, of, the, of the materials that you get and compositions that you get. So how do you start doing them? So you can't really design necessarily for all of the sources of input. You need to have flexibility. So so if you are able to get this idea of real-time monitoring automation. Established. That's a that's a huge opportunity. So, where, so where where is the industry on that continuum of moving from a standalone test to real time or even near real time monitoring? Uh, I think it's still early days. Okay. Uh, we are seeing a few operators who have actually embraced our real time monitoring solutions and are using it. Okay. Today. 
so for example, in the mining space, we, we've been doing that for, with some companies recently. Uh, we've been doing that in the refining industry with certain customers who are using real-time monitoring to mitigate corrosion risk. Uh, we have a few chemical suppliers who do a chemical dosing for uh, upstream oil and gas uh, production, and they are using uh, some of these tools as well. But it's really not very widespread just yet. It's still in the early days. But uh, but I think uh, this is the sort of the innovation wave. So what we are excited about is we are unlocking all of these technologies to basically design and optimize these complex processes built over many, many decades, which are very accurate, which is now, in the, uh, you know, these tools are now in the hands of uh, operators and producers who can now drive innovation in their process, unlike anything they've ever done before. And it's also interesting that now, like, the area of sustainability, I think I was in a session, a couple of sessions here, we talked about sustainability reporting. And a lot of these reports in sustainability today are very static. They're off of, you know, just taking, you know, some empirical data and, and, and understanding this, but it's not, mm-hmm. not based on what's going on. Uh, these kinds of tools now and capabilities can now provide you real-time visibility and dashboards into what are your, what are your greenhouse gas emissions at any point of time. You know, where is it going? And not only... Where is where it is, but how will it change when some input conditions change, and what mm-hmm. do you need to be looking out for in a more proactive manner, right? Those kinds of things are all possible in really bringing that, that entire piece together. And technologies like you know enterprise asset management and so on that are already doing these kinds of things can actually bring in much deeper insights. So we're really excited about bringing these kind of deep insights and plugging it into uh, various other uh, systems of record and systems of, you know, uh, in operations uh, data that are being uh, used to provide those insights in a much more... I mean, that, that's absolutely fascinating, moving from the R&D lab over to yes. a really, uh, you know, uh, the live process Re- really is fascinating. Uh, we're just about out of time. Do you have any last-minute uh, comments for our audience? Uh, really, uh, you know, I think... Uh, uh, check out our website, olisystems.com. Uh, we are, uh, you know, happy to talk to you about uh, our innovations, not just in traditional uh, asset performance, but also when it comes to environmental sustainability and how we can uh, really empower you with uh, with insights for, you know, design and optimization of complex chemical processes for your most valuable processes and drive meaningful outcomes for your business. So uh, thank you for the time and uh, look forward to talking to, to, to more of you and check out my colleague Lisa Williams' uh, podcast as well, which is that, uh, available. That's right. We'll, 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 we'll put a link in the description that's uh, b- below this image. Uh, again, our guest today has been Vineeth Graham, Chief Revenue Officer for OLI Systems. And uh, thank you very much, Vineeth, for being with us today. Great. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Thank you.